Welcome to the Talking Immigration Podcast. Immigration is a complex issue. Most of us have strong emotions, but don't actually know the details of how immigration actually works. In this podcast, I interview immigration experts to teach us about the types of immigration, limits, costs, enforcement, and more. I'm Katarina, your host. Let's talk immigration. Today we are talking immigration with Carlos Rodriguez and Shalini Thomas, who both work for the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center. Carlos is a DACA recipient and currently works as a Jesuit volunteer and legal assistant. Shalini is a legal program manager and an accredited representative, which means she has been granted authority by the Department of Justice to provide immigration legal services. Thank you both for being with us. Before we dive in, will you tell us a bit about your experience with immigration? Sure. So this is Shalini. Uh, I started at NMILC just over a year ago, uh, but I started working a, doing immigration work in 2010. I was working with an immigration nonprofit in El Paso. Uh, I was there until 2017. I left to go to graduate school. And once I graduated, I'm back in the immigration world. And Carlos here. Um, I graduated from Seattle University with a degree in public affairs and was very involved in a lot of immigration activism. Since then, I became a Jesuit volunteer starting in around 2018, uh, where I first served in Texas, doing legal assistant work, mostly around human trafficking, um, but also just general immigration work. And this year, I'm serving with the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center as a legal assistant, focusing mostly on detention work. For today's discussion, I want to focus on a very specific immigration policy that has recently been in the news and one that directly impacts many young adults, like our guest Carlos. Today, let's talk about DACA. First, I want to ask, what does DACA stand for? And can you explain for us a little bit what it means? So I can take that one. DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It's a form of temporary protection for young adults, um, and it comes with work authorization. Um, Deferred action is something that exists in many forms and in in immigration, and it's based on the idea that we have however many million undocumented immigrants in the United States. The U.S. government is spending billions on detention and removal. They could spend trillions, and they would never get every single person. And so the idea is to prioritize, uh, prioritize enforcement on those that should be prioritized for deportation and therefore put other people as a lower priority. And so that is what deferred action means. It means that you are low priority for deportation. Um, Any action against you should be deferred. Any deportation against you should be deferred. It doesn't mean someone is a resident. It doesn't mean someone is a citizen. It's not a path to any of those things. It just means it's a temporary protection from deportation. And so this is in no way any type of visa. Can you kind of explain a visa versus this temporary protection? A visa, the way it's used in almost every form, is permission to leave and enter the country. A visa is also temporary. A deferred action is different in that while it is temporary, it is not permission to leave and re-enter the country. You often hear of young adult immigrants described as dreamers. Are DACA recipients the same as dreamers? DACA recipients are very similar to dreamers, although I think 
um, the nuance is uh, DACA recipients uh, fall under the specific category of this program, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. The term DREAMer um, first sort of stemmed around um, around 2001 when that first DREAM Act was introduced. So a lot of us do still fall under the categories that would have allowed us to have a path to citizenship that the DREAM Act would have allowed. Um, however, since none of that legislation has passed and DACA has sort of been that program, that's kind of the first step or the stepping stone towards a bigger program like the DREAM Act. Um, a lot of people do identify as dreamers, although I think there is somewhat of a shift around the terminology now with dreamers because there is the critique that a lot of dreamers are still sort of dreaming to something that is um, uncertain or something that's unknown, dreaming for um, citizenship, which a lot of people don't necessarily align themselves with, even though they may not have status. Um, so even though the, the term dreamers does sort of apply to a lot of DACA recipients, it's still very specific to, um, you know, this legislation that didn't really necessarily pass to begin with. When was this DACA policy first introduced? And can you tell us kind of some of the background of why it came about? The DACA initiative was introduced around June 2012 um, by President Obama through an executive order after the DREAM Act failed to pass through Congress. Um, the DREAM Act has actually been through a couple of different iterations where since 2001, it has been brought up in Congress multiple times and failing multiple times um, again. And so that is sort of where this initiative was produced from. It is an executive order that, like Shalini mentioned, defers deportations of eligible people. Um, and again, the priority there was to prioritize like criminals or um, just people who did not fall under the DACA category and put younger people as less of a priority for deportation. Just to add a little bit of the legalities to that, a president on their own cannot create a path to citizenship or a path to residency. All a president can do is prioritize or deprioritize people for deportation, um, which is why when Obama created this executive order, he did the most that he could do on his own, which was deferred action. So who is eligible for this protection of DACA? DACA is uh, open to those who fulfill certain requirements. One, you have to have started living in the United States before you turn 16. You have to have been under 31 as of the date the program was announced, um, meaning you have to have been born on or after June 16, 1981. You have to have graduated high school, have been honorably discharged from the military, have received your GED or be actively studying. Um, you have to have lived here continuously since June 15th of 2007, and you have to have been in the United States on the date the program was announced, June 15th, 2012. In addition, there are some very, very strict requirements around criminal history or lack thereof. You cannot have any felonies. You cannot have any serious misdemeanors, which includes DUIs. You cannot have three or more non-serious misdemeanors. And they cannot think that you are a threat to national security or public safety for any reason. Who is they? That is a great question. They is USCIS, uh, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, the branch of uh, the Department of Homeland Security that deals with these kinds of affirmative applications. And so they are the branch that would either approve or deny applications for the protection of DACA. Correct. So this is not an easy 
an easy program to be eligible for. Correct. How many DACA recipients are there? Between 2012 and June 2019, there were about um, 909,000 people who have received DACA status at least once. Currently, there are approximately around 643,000, with about 40,000 um, renewal applications pending. Um, and those numbers are um, subject to change given the current Supreme Court ruling, where um, we believe that initial applications are being accepted. Once you are accepted for DACA protection, how long does that status last? So you kind of implied there's some kind of renewal. How often does that have to happen? So DACA status, when, once it's approved, uh, is valid for two years. Um, if you would like to continue to have DACA status and work authorization, you do have to apply to renew it. Each renewal costs $495. And does it cost to start to apply for that status initially? Again, $495. Something to add um, just to the fees. With the DACA program, there is no fee waiver that people can be eligible for. There are some other forms that USCIS, the Immigration Service, provides where you um, can apply for um, the sort of fee waiver that would waive the cost. Unfortunately, DACA is not one of those programs that has a fee waiver um, attached to it. Once a DACA recipient is accepted into the program and they receive work status, what's the documentation that they have to show that they're eligible to work? Sure. So they receive an employment authorization document. Um, It's not a document that most citizens have ever seen because they've never been anything but a citizen. Um, But it's a little card the size of a driver's license, and it's issued by USCIS, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, and it says very clearly, uh, employment authorization document. It is really only used for employment authorization. Um, If somebody has employment authorization, they can use that to prove they are lawfully in the United States in a way, which is a requirement for driver's licenses in most states. Can DACA recipients receive a driver's license? Yes. For a while, some states were fighting that. But at this point, you you are eligible for a driver's license. Um, obviously, driver's licenses have multiple requirements. You need to know how to drive, etc., etc. One of those requirements is you need to prove in most states you need to prove you are in the United States lawfully. And having an employment authorization document is one of the ways you can prove that. So I've seen quite a few stories recently about many of the DACA recipients working in essential businesses. And so we know DACA recipients have permission to work as part of that um, protection to stay. Do they also have to pay income taxes? Like anybody who lives in and works in the United States, if you are earning money, you are required to pay income taxes. Um, that's true if you're documented or undocumented. That's true if you have DACA or you're a citizen or you have no lawful status at all. If you work in the United States, you have to pay taxes. And do they have some sort of, I assume it's not a social security card, but there's some sort of number that comes along? How is that tracked? What happens? What would happen if somebody found out that they weren't paying income taxes? So to answer your first question, they are eligible for a social security card and a social security number. Um, And so the way it works is once you get status for the first time, whether that's 
an employment authorization document or residency or citizenship or whatever, you can take proof of that status to the Social Security office so that the Social Security office can issue you a Social Security card. The Social Security office will not issue you a card or a number if you don't have some sort of status or one of the very few other reasons why you would be eligible for a Social Security number. The only difference is that in if you're a citizen, your Social Security card has your name and your number, and that's it. If you have a, an employment authorization document, the Social Security card also has a words that say, basically, this number is only valid if it is presented with a valid employment authorization document. And so an employer who sees that Social Security card does have the obligation to ask for the employment authorization document to make sure that the employment authorization document hasn't expired. Um, and your second question, what would happen if they didn't? Mm-hmm. I don't do taxes. Um, <laughs> but it, the same thing that would happen if anybody didn't pay taxes. They would owe taxes. There are consequences to not paying taxes. If you're fancy and special like Wesley Snipes, you go to jail for most of us. I don't think it involves jail, but I don't actually know what the consequences are. Sure. I guess um, one of the questions I have is, why would a DACA application not be renewed? I guess I'm assuming, you know, if there's if some kind of crime is committed, something that would have made them ineligible in the first place, that it would potentially be that renewal application would be revoked. Are there, what are some other reasons why an application wouldn't be renewed? That should be the answer. And in the vast majority of cases, that is the answer. The only reason for a DACA, DACA application to not be renewed is if you violated the terms of your DACA. The terms are you can't leave the country and you can't have certain criminal charges. If neither of those things are true in my case, if I were a DACA recipient, there is no reason why my DACA renewal should be denied. That being said, there is this language around you are also ineligible if you otherwise pose a threat to national security and public safety, and that is undefined. And so there are some very famous cases of people who were accused of being gang members with really no evidence of documentation or documentation, and that being used by USCIS to try to deny someone their DACA renewal. Um, Carlos, I don't know if you can talk to that a little bit more. It's been a few years since I've seen any of those cases. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, what Charlie, what Charlene mentioned really speaks to the technicalities around um, the requirements. But I think there's also the side where, again, mentioning the cost, some people don't want to renew because they can't, cannot pay. Um, and I guess it's not that they don't want to renew, it's that they cannot pay. And that's sort of like one barrier that stems from, you know, a DACA application not wanting to be renewed. Um, And then the other sort of on the similar vein is fear. I know a lot of people who um, I was very close with in college who did not apply for DACA because of fear of sending their immigration to um, their immigration history to the immigration service here in the U.S. And so apart from the the technical um, requirements that could bar someone from renewing their application, there are still, still other systemic barriers that prevent people from actually applying as well. And can you tell me a little bit more about that fear? And so 
DACA recipients basically came here as children, right, without documentation. And if they were here at the right time and happened to be in the United States on that right day that uh, DACA came in, then they have this temporary protection. Can you talk a little bit about what, what the fear is? The, the fear stems from um, the idea that, again, a lot of people who are undocumented or, or documented came um, at a very young age. And so at that age, they, for example, in my case, I um, entered the U.S. without inspection and have lived undocumented until I was documented around 2013. Um, and so I think that not having touched the immigration system up until that point creates fear because you are submitting all this documentation um, proving all these required elements of the application that you do have to submit to the government. There is a lot of fear thinking that maybe in the, in the future, um, for example, with a change of administration, they could you know, reverse the DACA decision and, and begin to enforce these immigration policy against DACA recipients. And so I think that's where a lot of the fear stems from is the uncertainty of, of what administration can change what rules and how um, you know, our information that we submit to the government is used for or against us. That's a great segue. Can you explain for us what just happened with DACA and the, Supreme, and the Supreme Court decision? Absolutely. So the Trump administration, uh, I believe in 2017, got rid of DACA. And immediately there were suits against the, the court cases against the Trump administration to re- try and reinstate it. Um, it's been traveling through the court's Since then, uh, an injunction was issued in January of 2018 that forced USCIS to continue to accept renewal applications, but first-time DACA applicants were not allowed to submit initial applications. And so it was winding its way through the courts for two and a half to three years. Um, the Supreme Court heard the case many months ago and yesterday came out with a decision. The decision was that when the Trump administration took steps to get rid of DACA, they did so in a way that was arbitrary and capricious, um, basically saying they didn't give a reason, which is not a very strong decision in that the Supreme Court did not say the Trump administration cannot get rid of DACA. They just said the Trump administration did not give a sufficient rationale for getting rid of DACA. But since the Trump administration did not give a sufficient rationale or sufficient reason for getting rid of DACA, the Supreme Court ruled that they were not able to and therefore USCIS must start accepting initial applications as well Um, along with a few other aspects of DACA. This does mean that there's really nothing preventing the Trump administration from trying again, but that is the decision that we have. Can you talk a little bit about what would be a decision that would potentially make some type of DACA policy more permanent? Or Because it sounds like with that decision, it's okay for now. But is there sort of an end date to the DACA policy or can we expect that it would potentially be challenged over and over depending on an administration's position on it? Yeah. So as both Carlos and I explained, 
This was created through executive order because Congress refused to act. And because it was created through executive order by the president, it can the president can get rid of it. There is it doesn't require an act of Congress to get rid of it because an act of Congress was not required to create it. Would you explain for us what the Dream Act was initially that the failure of which was the impetus for the putting in of DACA? The DREAM Act stands for the Development, Relief, and Education for Aliens, Alien Minors Act, um, which is similar to DACA. The only difference is that it really just provided a pathway to lawful permanent resident status um, and citizenship if eligible. So unlike DACA, this um, this act did begin with the idea that, that undocumented young adults would have a pathway to citizenship. Um, and like I mentioned previously, it was introduced in 2001, but um, repeatedly has failed in Congress. So ever since then, a lot of states have also taken their own actions and adopted their own variations of the DREAM Act. For example, the most popular being the California State DREAM Act, um, which does protect immigrants in their state and offers more benefits such as in-state tuition for, for students wishing to go to college. And so, like I mentioned again, this has been through many iterations, the last being in 2017, I believe. And again, failing multiple times. And so is something like the DREAM Act the goal? Um, I personally, as someone who has been undocumented for a bit and documented for a while as well, I would not say that the DREAM Act is necessarily the goal. I think the there are very, um, very important keys to the DREAM Act that would allow a huge you know, population of undocumented people living in the U.S. to get benefits. But it also still excludes so many people who, for example, may have very minor criminal histories that could potentially bar them from applying to a program like this, or people who are viewed, as Charlene mentioned, as a public threat or um, threat to public safety. Um, since it's not defined, it still leaves out a huge population of people that may may not be eligible for it. And so when I, um, when I think about the DREAM Act, it may not necessarily include people like my parents who came way before I did. Um, but are still, you know, in a very similar state of, uh, as me, where they are working. They may not have an education, but they do contribute so much more to um, the economy and the culture of the U.S. as well. Well, like all immigration issues, there's always so much more to learn. But I really want to thank you, Shalini and Carlos, for sharing your experience and insights with us about what DACA is generally and a bit about how it works where can people learn more about you and your organization? So we are a New Mexico Immigrant Law Center. Our website is nmilc.org. We have an Instagram. We have a Facebook. We have a Twitter. And so looking for uh, NMILC uh, will get you right to us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Immigration. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing with family or friends and leaving a rating or review so more people can learn about this important issue. Have a great week, everyone, and let's keep talking immigration.